Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast that is perfect for those ubiquitous delays due to rain and bad light in our beloved game. I'm your host, Benny, and this week we will be speaking with Amit Sangekar. Amit is a level two umpire in England with ECB Association of Cricket Officials qualification. He has been umpiring in various leagues and for various teams in Middlesex County since 2014, including games across age groups in both women's and men's cricket. He's currently on the Middlesex County Cricket League panel, which is the Premier League of Middlesex. Along with co-host Himanish, I spoke with Amit about his journey in the umpiring circuit, the preparation and challenges behind his job, his experiences in umpiring different age groups in men's and women's cricket, his thoughts on technology and its impact on the state of umpiring in international cricket, and much, much more. Here is our conversation. Well, we have Amit Sangekar joining us today. Amit, welcome to The Last Wicket. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. It's a pleasure for us. And Amit, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Hi, guys. Uh, by profession, I am a marketeer. So I look after uh, the marketing for, uh, for a money transfer company. And I look after the social media. I look after all the other marketing branding initiatives. But apart from that... Uh, I am pursuing my cricket umpiring. Uh, I'm also involved in a lot of uh, food-related exploits. Um, so uh, you will find my feed full of food always. So I explore absolutely any kind of food. Uh, it would not be wrong to say I, I eat almost everything on this planet. So oh. yes, so that is another, that, that's another passion of mine. And the other is uh, a stage, especially. So anything to do with voice is something which I totally enjoy. So those are the things which I've been pursuing for some time. Uh, uh, in terms of education, I'm a, I, I'm, I've done my MBA and I'm a chemical engineer, uh, but currently I don't do anything related to chemical engineering as such. But uh, yeah, that, that's, that's what means. And I've traveled countries. So uh, travel is something which I do a lot. In fact, even in terms of staying, uh, though I belong to Mumbai, uh, I have stayed in uh, Dubai for about eight years. And from Dubai, I moved to London. And now it's been close to seven years in London now. 
So you're a man of multiple tastes and experiences. And out of all of that, we are going to pick umpiring. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your umpiring or your passion for umpiring? Okay. So like everybody in Mumbai, I think uh, the exposure to cricket uh, happened uh, quite early in life. Uh, and I should thank my father for it. Uh, he used to discuss a lot about his times uh, uh, and speak about the greats of uh, Venkat, of uh, Venkat Raghavan. And then he would speak about uh, Vishen Singh Bedi and Eknath Solkar and, and these guys. Uh, and then he would make sure that he would take me whenever on a trip to church gate or something would take me to all these oval and azad maidans to watch the game. Uh, now, that is where the, uh, the, the liking for cricket as a game started. Uh, and uh, as, as, we, as we grew uh, and entered school and stuff, uh, I, I have uh, enjoyed the game a lot. I played the game quite a bit. Uh, in fact, during my college days, I even broke my hand while playing the game. So, yeah, I have quite a few injuries to carry because of the game too. But one thing which I noticed during those growing years was how nobody was ever satisfied with having players as umpires and then not getting the decisions their ways uh, from right. that particular team. And I think that is where the whole um, curiosity peaked for uh, whether I should explore this sometime, sometime in my life. Uh, it reached to a point such that uh, the opposition teams of certain places where I played started insisting that I umpire their games and not getting their own player to umpire those games. Uh, and that is where I think the whole thing started. I went to Dubai. Dubai also I played as well as I started umpiring. Uh, and the time I realized we were moving to UK is when I started to look at doing something professionally. Uh, so uh, I inquired about the courses here. And in fact, even before landing here, I had my courses all set up. Uh, so I st we moved to the, uh, London in about 2013, December. And Jan 2014, I was already doing my level one course at Lords, which was done by Middlesex County. Uh, so okay. here, every county has their uh, association of cricketing officials, ACOs, as they call them. And each of them have their courses, which are planned out for the umpires. So when I started out, there were three levels. There was level one, level one A, and level two, uh, which have now changed since the time we started now with stage one, stage two, and stage three. So currently, in terms of qualifications, I stand at the, I've finished all the qualifications which are currently needed. There is a talk about doing some more qualifications later on. And we continue to have continuous development sessions, which Middlesex County uh, continues to have for everybody. Uh, so that is how the journey has journey started. And that is how I got professionally qualified. Now, each one of these levels has a lot. It's, it's quite a detailed process here. So the level one was more of classroom and examination. That is when, after which we actually started umpiring uh, within the local clubs and the local leagues here. Uh, the level 1A is more of a classroom plus observations plus a lot of self-critique. Uh, and then there are um, umpire marks which come from your observers, from the captains. Uh, and uh, that's where level 1A happens. The level 2 is a much more detailed uh, thing which happened with us where, where we had professional discussion at the end of it. So all our umpiring in the last four or five years, whichever we did, was analyzed uh, depending upon the match records, depending upon the observations, uh, the match reports which we filled out. And that is how the level two qualification happened. So that's the highest qualification currently, which is stage three or level two, uh, which I stand at. But, uh, but the, the, there is a continuous development process which the local counties employ. And hence, even before every season starts, 
uh, people are made to go through those courses so that they are up to date with the changes in laws and everything else. So yeah, that's that's how the journey has been till now. So it's very fascinating that you give us a lowdown on these levels, right? How did your perspective on cricket change as you went from fan and a player to someone who went through these levels, studying the game like that, right? Yeah. So uh, there are a few things which uh, start coming up as you start your first, for example, level one. Uh, you start understanding the difference between laws and play, playing regulations, which are two different things altogether. So that's the first thing which hits you. I'll give a small example. Uh, a ball passing over the head of a batsman. Uh, the, in the ODIs which you see, what do the umpires call it? The umpires call it a wide. In the MCC laws, however, the laws of cricket, it's a no ball. So you start realizing these subtle differences in terms of what you saw them as a player and what it actually means in the laws, and how the laws and the playing regulations are different, but they have to exist together in every single competition. So right. those are the first things which happen. Then the interpretation of the laws. What do you think this means? Uh, so for example, calling a wide, a wide, usually what you would see is a wide, anything down the leg side, for example, in a one day is a, is a wide. But the wide is judged at the time the ball passes the batsman and not the stumps. And that is something which you know only when you would have read the laws as such. And again, the laws do not call anything down the leg side as a wide. It's only an ODI regulation by the ICC, which has come in and hence. So these are the subtle differences and you start changing over a period of time and realizing why they may have been bought in. Why did you think that these things happen? How does the interpretation of laws change uh, depending upon the playing regulations, all these things starts changing over a period of time as you start dwelling in it. And then the most important thing which happens is you start realizing that the laws are fine. You will realize them or you will read them up and you will know everything about it. But it's the man management at the end of it, which actually matters on the field rather than these all these laws. Laws can be imprinted on you. You'll read them up, get to know all of them. But what happens on the field, how, how to deal with it is something which you start realizing as you go through these various levels. There's interesting distinctions there between the laws that are applied like at, you know, at, at the level that you're empiring and then what you see on TV when we watch international matches. How much are the players themselves aware of these rules or, or these laws, considering that most of them are probably exposed to watching these games, these international games, and when they're playing, the decisions may be different. The empiring calls might be different. Uh, so from your experience, do players, you know, what is their grasp of the laws? So this will be a striking difference between countries which do not have a formal good cricketing structure uh, uh, the, with, the with the countries which just play the game for the sake of it and getting into the ODIs. So what right. I mean by that is, for example, England has had a very strong cricketing culture and structure over a period of time. So the players who have come through there have come through these laws. They have come through those formal playing things. So the older players are actually aware of a lot of things. Uh, right. The newer generation, which has started coming up, yes, they are primarily governed by these. But because there are these guys who have been there for in the cricketing system for a very long time, most of the stuff these guys are aware of. But that's, and I can speak about England right now. Dubai, that was not the case. When I played there or when I played there, uh, I mean, this this was a constant argument with the players that no, this is not the interpretation of the law. This is not what it is. Uh, but here it is a much there, there, there is awareness. And what happens is even when the uh, the smaller kids, the colds as they call them here, uh, are learning, 
the coaches, the club system um, ingrains all this into them. And these people are aware of at least these things. Yeah, there are a few things which, which always come up. So for example, the change in the changes in the laws which happened, uh, uh, for example, running the, 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 the strike, the, the non-striker out at the bowler's end, when does the, 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 that change which has happened? These are the smaller changes which at times are quite controversial, but, uh, but most of the things people are aware. Uh, and if not, uh, again, so when we play, uh, we play under the laws, plus there could be a regulations with the league which we are playing in. So right. we play in conjunction with them. And so most of them are aware, the captains usually are aware they have played in the system for long. The rest of the guys, they, they come along. If there's something else, people listen most of the times. <laughs> so we'll um, talk about your umpiring, right? So what is the prep that goes on behind that we don't see on the pitch behind the scenes? So the prep, in fact, in fact, that's one of the most important points which is mentioned on a self-critique. There are three, uh, three prominent sections which we fill out. One is the pre-match, it is a post-match, and then there is a colleagues plus scorers review. So these are the three things which we usually have to fill before we get all our qualifications. Uh, there's a pre, in the pre-match scenario, it all starts literally from getting your schedules and everything. So once you've got it, uh, I actually make it a point to find out who my colleague is and speak to my colleague at least a week before the entire tournament starts. And every week I have a new colleague because we travel to different grounds. Uh, so we call them up and we discuss the playing regulations all over again. Now, after over a period of time, you start getting familiar with colleagues, you know what they are, how good they are. So maybe you will not do it in, in as detail as it is, but as a new umpire, uh, it, it is always necessary that you go through those playing regulations and do not come up with surprises especially in a country like the UK, uh, where weather plays a very large part in a lot of games. Uh, what are the regulations regarding shortened matches? What happens with, are there penalties for uh, slow over rates? Uh, are, uh, how does the calculation work? Is DLS being employed? So DLS is currently has now been employed in all the uh, Premier League matches here. Uh, so uh, all the first 11 teams, as they call them, will have DLS implemented, not the average run rate calculated, which used to be the earlier case. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so we discussed that beforehand. Uh, are there any uh, pre-signals, etc., which you would want to give to each other before making the final signal to the scorers? These are the things we discuss. Uh, when do you want to reach to the ground? Some grounds are literally so far away that you need to factor in your traveling time and everything into it. Uh, and then we discuss the teams. So some of the experienced umpires have had experience umpiring those specific teams which we are there. Uh, have they noticed any specific player who could be an issue, whom you think should be looked out for, whom, who should be stopped right when he starts, whatever he wants to start to make the game a bit edgy or something, yeah. So we, we discuss all these finer things uh, before reaching the match. Once we usually arrive at a match about one to one and a half hour earlier than the start times. So once we get to the matches, uh, we survey the ground. Uh, we the first thing we do is actually speak to the groundsmen. So most of the grounds, and other than the public grounds which are there, each club has their own grounds. So we speak to the groundsman. Uh, uh, we go walk around with him, or possibly at times by ourselves, and uh, look around if there are any patches which need to be addressed. Uh, are there anything? Is there are there hanging branches and stuff which need to be looked at? Will that change? Does the boundary need to be moved? Are the side screens at the right place? Uh, has the wicket been prepared and rolled well? In fact, at the end of every match, we have to give a report about the pitch itself, the pitch and the grounds itself. So that is something which we look out for. Ha have the markings been done currently, uh, correctly? So we have had a number of uh, issues where 
the the groundsman has not marked the danger area markings properly so have they been marked correctly uh, have this been reduced have the circles the 30 yard circles been put up correctly so these are the smaller things which we do on the match day in terms of getting ready before the toss even the toss happens then usually the scorers arrive about 30 minutes to 45 minutes before this we go and speak to the scorers the the scorers need to know our methodology of the signals so usually for example when we are giving a leg by there is a there is a huge common practice that our hands get stretched out that a different signal than the anything else is going to come around so please right. watch out for us so the, and there there are no cameras and we are far away so they need to know certain signals to observe us that okay something else is going to come up once the ball becomes dead so this is another thing a, a trained scorer will only record in his scorebook once the ball is dead and not before that so anything or uh, in a scorebook or on the laptop whatever it is so they need to know what when exactly are we going to signal so these are the smaller things which we tell scorers that okay uh, my method of signaling a wide could be like this some some people do not shout a wide out they simply indicate by their hands so these are the smaller things which we discuss then i discuss with my colleague when does he want a ball count for example so there are some people who who check for ball count at four balls while the others do it at three while some others have a practice of if there is a, a wide or a no ball then you do a recount at the same time so do you have the same number of deliveries which which are left in the over to calculate uh, so these are the small things till the time the toss happens uh, then once the time for the toss is there we go and speak to the captains we get team sheets from them the team sheets are a very critical part of the system here because they identify if there are any under age uh, in the adult team uh, so for example anybody under 18 Uh, has a separate set of rules which we have to look at under the ecb guidelines the english cricket board guidelines uh, the number of uh, overs a fast bowler can bowl who is under 15 under 17 or under 18 are different they so can in the same with... game in the same yes. game it can vary oh wow yeah, okay same... so what happens is they can only bowl for example an under 18 may bowl only about 7 overs in a spell and in the entire day can bowl only about 14 overs Okay, so the, all these things. This well, is possibly to take care of those children and not overstress them. Uh, similarly, they cannot play uh, uh, more than three days games at at a stretch. So there are all these smaller regulations which we need to take care of. Hence, the team sheet becomes very important for us. Uh, so these are the things which happen before the toss. Uh, at the toss, we discuss the playing regulations very briefly with the with the uh, with the captains. Uh, with the captains then uh, now because of the there are certain covid regulations which are there which we are adhering to during the game so after every six overs we sanitize the ball and we ask the players also to sanitize their hands so that's something which is new since the last last season uh, so these are the things which lead up to the game till the first ball is bowled is this exhausting to just hear you <laughs> recount all the preparation that goes into it just before the ball is being bowled and you're someone who's working that's amazing you know, right because yeah and you're someone, yeah, someone who see only the signals on the ground yeah but there's so much work that goes into it and we don't see that yeah, and that I was mean, a beautiful answer that sort of lays it out for us i mean i i was just thinking as you were talking about that if this is the level of preparation and work that goes into even like umpiring at the international level i think i would think twice before criticizing the umpires going forward uh, and, and especially for you yeah you know for for you you're you're also working during the week right you're doing your day job and then in the weekend you're doing this so how much of it is mentally taxing for you as an individual 
so for me it works the other way around because for me uh, the cricket ground is a place where i relax completely so i okay. am at the most ease or peace on a cricket ground irrespective of how much agitation in a match is going on i i really don't it doesn't really affect me too much unless it reaches the level of abuse so that's that's right. a completely different thing altogether but uh, so normal sledging and all that stuff all banter and all it's perfectly fine i i enjoy the time on the field and i don't think there's a better place on the field to watch the match than being an umpire it's right. the, it's the best place to see most of the uh, most of the action uh, but yes so uh, we uh, the point is uh, umpires and scorers if they work as a team the match becomes much more easily manageable than right. when they start working in silos even your own colleague if you do not connect with the colleague at your first couple of meetings or your first before the match starts it becomes a very difficult proposition so imagine a colleague who is not good at keeping a ball count and suddenly in one over you miss a ball and the scorer from there starts shouting you have already bowled an extra ball or something whatever like that so and the players don't let you forget it okay so the players will make sure <laughs> like you will remember it at critical junctures Uh, always so but it's 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 fun and uh, yes you're right uh, for people who work at uh, at the work some of the other colleagues whom i've known yes it's it's a matter of uh, the, the mental strength has to be has to be there on those specific days awesome so uh connected to this right what are the challenges that you face because i remember talking to simon tofel about 4 years ago okay. and he talked about the uh, physical challenge of it which we don't recognize as viewers right so what are the mental and physical challenges that you face on a regular basis again i'll start with my when my when i started with my first year uh, and uh, this was my first absolute first thing which i noticed uh, and and you start realizing the level of cricket now you're going to get into the first challenge which i faced was calling a no ball the front foot no ball mm-hmm. okay that was the first biggest challenge the entire idea of keeping your uh, neck straight only moving your eyes from that the front the front the crease to the lbw or the court behind there in the matter of a few seconds is absolutely the first thing which which will absolutely put fear in you okay that that's the thing what happens because you realize that once you see the the smaller the the, the slower bowlers and all it's it's fine and then a real fast bowler comes in and by the time you realize you put your eyes up the ball's gone yeah okay so uh, which is which which is a combination of your mental and physical thing and the first few games puts you it takes a few games to get adjusted to that and for really good fast bowlers that's the first thing so but coming back to the uh, the actual thing yes you need to be fit i mean you need to keep yourself fit there are there are umpires who are currently even 50, 60 70 who still umpire uh, in the in the various leagues here uh, some of them do it for the love of the game they do it completely they may not be the best fit fittest umpires around but they are good umpires uh and the players respect their decision uh, decision making abilities uh so fitness is definitely one part because it helps in the movement and uh and, and movement on a cricketing field especially if you have extremely agile fielders and bowlers around you is extremely important and you will realize when you are running away to do your position to try and make a, a run out decision from a position where i mean you may not even reach in that particular time but you still need to get it to the best angle wherever you are is one of those biggest challenges mentally it gets taxing especially as the weather starts affecting you so whether it is extremely cold or extremely hot atmospheres uh, you need to start uh, keeping yourself extremely mentally and physically fit and i use uh, you mentioned simon tofel and i use simon tofel's uh, uh, powering down or not powering off but powering down uh, uh, analogy as he calls it 
uh, when you, once you get to square leg, try and power down, go down. Don't, mm -hmm. don't switch off because you can't. Your colleague will need you somewhere or the other and you will not even know. Uh, but yes, use that time to slightly cool off because that's the only time because the moment you are back at the non-striker's end, uh, that's where you need to be absolutely focused on everything that is happening around you. Uh, and the reason why you can't shut off when you're at the square leg is there are a few other things which matter. So for example, uh, a nick down a nick down the leg side, uh, has it hit the pad or has it hit the, uh, the, the bat? Uh, you hear it very clearly. And there are signals which we use. Between, so I was speaking about pre-signal. So will you touch your ear and tell, the, tell your colleague that yes, you heard a clear noise that there was something which heard. Or you simply brush your thigh and say that no, you heard a pad complete, pad was something which, which was hit. Uh, or you tell them the height at which the ball passed. All these things your colleague will need to uh, re-emphasize from your end. We use it for LBWs too. In fact, most of the fast bowlers, we try and indicate to, the, to our colleague at these non-strikers end, how far is the batsman out of the ground? So those are the things, uh, and, and you need to be alert for it. Uh, so both physical and mental being uh, well-being on the, on the field is needed. And as you progress to multi-day cricket, it becomes all the more important. Mm -hmm. A single right. day is fine, but coming back again and again to, uh, to a game for two or three days, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not fun unless you are equipped to do it because your body, it, it takes toll on your body. Okay, You may be just standing, the players may be expending most of the energy, but standing at one place uh, with those occasional movements is, is not that, it's not that easy at all. And to add to that, um, you know, you kind of briefly mentioned it, you know, you also, apart from all of these challenges, you also have to deal with player behavior from time to time. And let me tell you that I've only umpired once at like a club cricket level here in the US. Um, it was the first and last time that I actually did it because I was shocked because these are players that I had played against and, you know, they're very cordial. But when I umpired it, it, it was like, I was like the common, almost like this lightning rod for both teams that if I did not give a decision in their favor, I got like, and again, this is club cricket. So uh, like amateur uh, club cricket. Yeah. So I got a lot of vitriol directed against me if uh, a decision didn't go in their favor. And I was just completely uh, thrown off by it. And I'm assuming at your level, and of course you, you do it both at different age groups, as well as, you know, at women's games or men's games. Yeah. So what is your experience of dealing with that? Like, how do you handle that when players get a little too excited and then start getting into some uncomfortable territory? In my experience till now, I have, other than uh, physical abuse or racial abuse, I have, which I have not encountered till now, I have seen almost everything. So I've seen the entire spectrum of things which has happened. Uh, so players, one thing you have to fully understand is that the players are human beings, so they will react. Uh, and at times, or rather 50% of the times, the, the first word which comes out of their mouth is directed at themselves and not at you. It okay. is their reaction to a particular thing which has happened. So until you realize that, you will feel everything is directed towards you. Okay. Uh -huh. So that is one thing which, which umpires or any official has to literally understand. Uh, players are not always well behaved, but there are players who are exemplary too. So I've seen both levels. Uh, so let me first do it by gender. Uh, and it you will it will reflect in the in the matter of appealing also. So the mat the way in which women appeal for a particular decision is extremely different from the way in which men appeal for a decision. Okay, hmm. uh, so an LBW, for example, 
uh, you will have possibly the most politest of appeals in at least the, the female uh, cricket than you will see in the case of male cricket. And this varies yeah. against, again, your age groups also. So the, the, at times you have seen in the, the, the boys under 15, under 14s, the appeal will be so muted or a meek appeal that you will not, I mean, uh, possibly a person who does not realize that, okay, you need a strong appeal for a, for a decision, we may not give a decision. Right. But that doesn't matter. That's the first thing you learn as an umpire. Even if one person on the field, even for a small matter of a second says, how's that? You better give an answer to that question because the question has been asked. Okay. No matter how strongly or how. So once the question is asked, you better respond with a not out or an out. So, uh, so, so, so these things vary. Uh, player behavior affects you also. And yes, you will get abuse at times too. That happens. Uh, the only thing and I'll tell you the difference possibly in your case and possibly my case is because we are appointed officials who have the ability to report them to a constitutional body is what right. makes the whole difference. Uh, and that possibly tempers down um, quite a bit of aggression, which they may show towards empires. It still happens, uh, but it does. You can write a report at the end of it. You can now, the new sanctions which have been brought under law 42 can now, can we also can implement them on the ground and we can implement them, which actually penalizes the team. So now uh, these things have helped quite a lot, but yes, players are players. They will, they will always, uh, a decision at a critical juncture will, but obviously be questioned, but some of them are quite, and some of them are so experienced that they will deal with it very nicely. So in my most recent match, I had a caught behind decision, which I think I got wrong, uh, which I did not give. Uh, the very next over, I was in this uh, square leg, and I ruled the batsman run out. Uh, at the end of the match, the batsman, uh, cheeky as he is, comes to me, did you compensate for your decision by giving me run out? <laughs> uh, so some of the players have a good banter. Uh, they will, um, and most of them at the end of the game, at least I have seen here, will come and discuss with you as to what do you think, why. Right. Uh, some people are as fuming as they could be. I have had a chance to only possibly write disciplinary reports only once till now. I have not written any disciplinary reports till now, reported anybody. Uh, that, that was a case where it was not directed at the umpires, but it happened between the players, uh, where the wicketkeeper got into the batsman's head and suddenly uh, the, he decided to take matter into his own hands and stuff. Uh, wow. So that has happened once in my entire time. I unfortunately haven't faced any racial slurs still now in my experience, uh, but I've had colleagues who have had that experience. Uh, but luckily, because they have a redressal mechanism, it has helped them. Uh, okay. So, and I can completely understand your case. You had nowhere to go to to possibly <laughs> say who or what, but we have a place to go to. And, and again, I did not have a good colleague who backed me up. He was like, I don't know. I'm not sure. And I was completely yes. alone. Which is why the team matters. And I say not just the two umpires, but the two scorers together. That, that team of four uh, in international matches, possibly it's a bit different because electronic uh, technology and everything takes over. So you have a lot of other support too. But right. this team of four is extremely important on the field. If they work together, a lot of things get extremely, extremely easier, especially when it comes to calculations and reduced overs and all. When the umpires go to the scorers and they sit down and make those calculations and advise the captains as to what has happened and stuff. If you have good scorers and good umpires with you as colleagues, it makes the uh, job entirely different. And can you, can you say, so based on all of this, do you have a preference for umpiring in a specific age group or do you prefer umpiring like, you know, for women's games compared to like men's games? 
for me personally i think i would go to umpire any game so tomorrow if somebody tells me there's something happening in the next ground i'll go and umpire i mean i, I would do that but yes in terms of uh, the intensity which i see i think adult women and adult uh, men's cricket these are the two things which i would definitely enjoy because of the intensity of the game that happens uh, but if i want to see some growing up talent then the boys and girls games uh, the under 18s are extremely brilliant to watch and wow. especially the under 13s and all uh, where you have uh, an additional factor which comes in the parents standing outside the boundary line so that that that, that that's something which comes in uh, uh, in those uh, yeah. luckily here again the coaches are more in control here so they manage to keep the parents here but i've heard some of my uh, indian uh, counterparts uh, saying that there the parents are the uh, the rulers on the grounds at times so sometimes <laughs> uh, they have to sanction them not to come to the ground at all leave the child and just go away Wow. but yeah it's, it's it's a challenge but i would but and the thing is uh, the adult game is the only game which will possibly get you to the next levels onwards though right. uh, if you want a proper progression then these are the games which will take you ahead the other games will give you umpiring experience but they will not take you ahead in terms of you are not being able to games at all so do the players also come to you for like technical advice or feedback on how they were batting or what went wrong has that the, ever happened the adult cricket no Uh, they will not come for but they will come for clarification so as i said maybe at the end of the game somebody will come why do you think that was out why do you think and if there is an interpretation of a law that happens then yes when when we have to interpret certain laws at times on the ground so for example a ball bouncing twice before it reaches the popping crease is a no ball uh, these are the these are some of the things which at times players come to us is it bouncing twice or is it bouncing once more than once uh then the number of uh, fielders standing outside uh, in in power plays if there is a power play uh, number of players uh, on the leg side a number of players uh, behind square on the leg side and all these things once that starts happening those are the times when players come to you for certain things the younger players do come at times as to uh, do you think that ball pitch somewhere uh, uh, was going down the leg side and when it was so lbws get queried a lot uh and we i as an umpire at least uh, try and give a reason to why i would have given a decision not out especially when or an or an out uh, especially in the in the younger games uh, i do not try and avoid the question at all uh, or give them a very broad answer which we at times try and do during the adult games and do not give them uh, to, because if you, and you judge the mood of the game if the mood of the game is such that it's reached a very extremely volatile stage then you might as well just give your decision and stay away from any further conversations from there uh let's move on to international cricket you know based on your expertise uh you know umpiring yeah so first of all we'll we just begin with a broad question so what are your thoughts on uh, the level and progression of umpiring in the uh game today i think there is a uh, if i look at the current icc elite panel i think they have got some of the best umpires there and i uh, i speak to this from an experience with a uh, with interacting a couple of uh, with them uh, personally uh, because the ecb has certain uh, uh, when the umpires come here for uh, umpiring with uh, for certain matches uh, they, they, we have sessions with them uh, uh, so for example alimdar for example uh, alimdar is somebody whom i consider one of the best umpires on the circuit currently uh he made a very valid point when he spoke to us he said cricket is a game of angles if you get your angles right your decisions will be right then right. it will be very wrong, uh, very difficult to get a wrong decision if your angles are correct 
uh, Aleem himself has gone through personal tragedy at a very critical juncture in 2003, uh, World Cup. Uh, so he spoke to us about how you could uh, get through tough phases too. Uh, Dharma Sena, uh, for example, was another umpire whom we got to interact with. I think uh, that he's he's also quite good, though he does get a lot of flack a lot of times. But if you see his percentages of decisions, uh, it's it's still it's still extremely high in, as compared to a lot of other ones. Uh, Michael Gore, I mean th th that guy is like uh, that. Like, he's now become the stand gold standard, uh, almost reaching Simon Toffel kind of levels. Uh, so these current umpires, which the elite panel has, is extremely good. Nitin Menon. Uh, and I was extremely happy that Nitin Menon uh, has reached the elite umpires panel uh, this year. Uh, it's it's kind of nice to see his name there. And, and he, he is good, he's good. And he's got praise from a lot of people around this time also. Then right. below the elite panels, there is an international umpire of panels, which is not the elite panels, but they go to all the other matches. That panel is also quite good. But the umpiring panel, uh, the umpires do get a lot of flack. As you start, we would have seen possibly the case of Steve Buckner, for example. As they start reaching their end of phase, as they call it, umpires need to know when to call time. Uh, if they do not do that at the right time, I think that's where your error percentages start creeping in. Uh, and then even your two or three decisions against uh, the so-called strong boards will then uh, affect you quite a bit. Uh, right. so, so those are there. But the current stage of umpiring, I think, is uh, there are some very, very good umpires there. And the ICC has set in a good policy of even allowing the, from the lesser known nation, nations, there is another pool of umpires from where they have put up a pool for international matches. And that, though they are being coached and mentored, that is, that is, that is something which, which, which every board possibly needs to do. If there is a second rung of umpires which are there, then they need to be nurtured. And the ICC is doing a good job of that. So in terms of that, yes, umpiring at the currently, they have some very good umpires, but they are, they are, they are lesser in number. I think that we need more empires as the as the game opens up after COVID and a lot of other things start happening around those we need it. because currently even because of COVID the international umpires are not being neutral umpire policy is currently being withheld so a lot of home umpires are getting a chance to do their umpiring in most of the home country matches too. That's uh, that's an interesting piece of uh, perspective from Alim Dar about you know cricket being a game of angles uh, and based on your interaction with you know plenty of these international umpires are there any other you know, either advice or thoughts shared by them that you've been able to use in your uh, umpiring career? Okay. So I'm not, so I'll share what uh, Kumar Dharmasena had shared, uh, though, though I don't know how many of it use it. So Kumar Dharmasena, when he had uh, put, uh, put up his playing boots and he wanted to become an umpire, he said he did a very uh, strange and funny thing. He put, he took a photograph of himself in an umpiring uh, clothes and put it up in his room. And he said, this is where I want to get. And that is something which he used to get onto the uh, uh, ICC uh, panel of umpires. I'm not saying everybody should do that, but he, he said that everybody needs to find their particular point of driving them if you have to get there. And right. it's not easy to get there because there are only specific number of umpires who get there. Uh, so that, that is something which is a challenge. S. Ravi, who was there, he's very method, methodical. He's very, how should I put it? Not, not just methodical. He, he, he's, he's very uh, astute at doing what he does. Uh, he had a certain way of doing things. He would note down certain things. Uh, he was a man of uh, noting down. So he would note down a lot of stuff and then possibly uh, he makes notes quite a bit. Uh, then uh, a lot of umpires who would uh, um, interact with us, uh, especially when the ECB national conferences happen, that's when Ian Gould and all these people have come down. 
and they would speak to us about specific incidents. They would speak about man, man management is something what everybody has harped about. Uh, okay. They said decisions is something which will always happen. Uh, the, the advent of technology will make some of the things easier for you. But if you can't manage the people on the field, just like you would do in an organization, uh, you will fail, fail terribly at your job. So whether it is at their level, it is uh, whether it is a Virat Kohli or whether it is any other captain whom you are dealing with, if you can't manage the people there, uh, it's, it's going to be a difficult job for you. And these players realize once they see that an umpire is good, they will know when to cross their lines or not. So it happens in our cases also. Uh, if you have not managed the uh, mischief maker at the right time, then it will blow up. It happens quite a bit. So that's something which most all the umpires have told us that manage them at the right time and you will see that your game proceeds without a cup. Wow. You know, on a, on a personal note, uh, one of my favorite umpires uh, is Billy Bowden. Um, and the reason I like him is because he's entertaining to watch. And I understand that he may not be everyone's cup of tea because, you know, there may be a section of people who feel the umpire's job is not to be, it's kind of, you don't have to be seen or heard either, right? Right, you just do your job. Uh, but there are many umpires, I've seen like, you know, these viral clips from time to time of umpires at local level. They're just enjoying themselves. They're very exaggerated in the way they, you know, do the calls. Uh, have you been attempted to do something like that to keep the game interesting? So, uh, no, I'm not going to Billy Bowden's level, but uh, <laughs> but you are right what you say. The How emotive can an umpire be is something which is debated quite a bit uh, at times. Right. Uh, so, uh, so I, I am very emotive by nature. So if I see an excellent delivery being pulled, my face just go, oh, okay. It, it happens to me very instinctively, but not, not all umpires do it. And right. it is, it is, it is, it, is uh, uh, it happens at times. I don't know if you remember when Dhoni got run out, uh, Richard Kettleborough, I presume was there at square leg uh, when that throw came in from, was it Guptil? I don't remember, possibly. In the, in the, uh, the semi final. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Guptil, yeah. Guptil. You should have seen Kettleborough's face. His face said it all. He knew. Yeah, I think that I remember that. Yeah. He was run out. <laughs> that was the first time. So uh, Simon Toffel is not somebody who shows, who showed quite a lot of expressions on his face. Uh, Billy Bowden definitely shows expressions on his face. Uh, Kettleborough, I saw that day showing expressions. But um, a lot of umpires, I think, tend to, after some time, uh, they realize that th this happens quite a bit. So maybe for me, it's new that I see an excellent fast bowler uh, bowling and hence my face becomes like that. And after some time, I'll realize everybody's bowling so well. So my, there could be nothing surprising. But it happens, an excellent catch being taken, what happens. But no, I'm not yet at something like this. I even do not have a method of, my own method of giving out or something. Uh, so so uh, Ian Gould had an interesting example. He had a di different way of giving out before he changed his way. And it came to him from a certain country. He went to and was told that it was very offensive in the way in which he was giving those decisions. So after okay. that, he changed his way of uh, giving a batsman out. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of these umpires have very interesting uh, things about uh, their own habits, their own things. which they Some of them I have heard have some certain superstitions too. So... Hmm. I haven't yet developed any one of them till now, but who knows? Let's see. Yeah, you have some way to go. Maybe you'll develop something unique for yourself. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, so. what? Let's talk about technology too, right? Because it's a hot 
topic of debate and it will it has continued for a while and it is going to continue as yep. technology continues to develop and improve so just given you know what is your take let's start with that what is your take on the role of technology in assisting umpires uh in a single line i think technology is needed so uh, there's there's no doubt about it it has definitely it definitely helps in increasing your number of right decisions so hmm. there is no doubt about it and cricket is uh, no exception to it because a lot of games have already started using technology they are using it uh, and everywhere there is a debate around it so whether it is the var in football or whether it is the hawk eye in uh, cricket there is debate there's, there are debates which are always going to happen uh, i think technology helps technology assists uh, as long as technology is uh, available to everybody at a at a cost which is possible to be borne by those people i think technology should be used and it takes away a lot of these uh, uh, reasons why players could show dissent or anything of that sort and it, it helps quite a bit yes technology will come with errors and which is where the entire debate starts uh, how much of it so for example a var go, uh, a goal being ruled offside because of the technology you are able to measure even a centimeter of offside right now which right. would not have been possible to a naked eye before now whether to allow that or not allow that is a subjective call but uh, so right now for example the icc has changed the rules for where the ball tracking should uh, the where should the ball hit the stump so till now it was the bottom of the bale that has been changed to the top of the bale right. it's a very small area okay but when it is magnified on screen and shown to the people in that manner that is where the whole difference happens when you are seeing on the screen the ball is hitting the stump okay that's the first thing which only not everybody knew that this law existed or the rule existed that it was the bottom of the bale and not the top of the bale and hence a lot right. of discussions happened around it only when the icc changed the rule people realized oh that is the rule which happens and then commentators add to the whole um, atmosphere by interpreting it in their own way uh, so when you ask the question you remember that uh, does everybody know the law a lot of times the commentators themselves do not oh yeah that happens that, yeah. and uh, it, it goes it goes on. and forget just that the umpires at times get it wrong and uh, mm. sadly dharmasena got it wrong uh, when he signaled more than an extra run when that uh, overthrow happened uh, in, the, in, in the final match it was right. absolutely so uh, anybody can get it wrong and uh, and remember nobody got it uh, identified that error when it happened not the commentators nobody it's right. only after that as a reflection later on that people realize okay that has also gone wrong i think technology helps it has helped quite a bit yes there are debates uh, so whether it is the so for example there is hotspot and then there is the ultra agent snickometer hotspot is an expensive technology ultra agent snickometer are relatively cheaper technologies uh, both of the, of of these uh, people do not have usually have issues with them the only issue is had with hawkeye because hawkeye gives you ball tracking usually and the the ball tracking mechanism is is there with errors because not everything on the ground can be accounted for and also you have to remember that usually the hawkeye thing which comes up to you is a combination of about six or seven different cameras at different different places six uh, cameras exactly so uh, if and if something goes wrong with any of those cameras then the result will not be what you expect it will not be even if one camera and we had an interesting session before our sessions before our season started this year with somebody who deals who coaches umpires on the elite panel about hawkeye he was asked to come and speak to us on an ecb panel 
uh, and he told us that at times two of my cameras go down and i cannot give the umpire the whole picture and i and uh, the umpire then has to make the decision based upon that picture whatever he gets Hmm. and uh, it's it's just the technology and not every time everything works not every ground has a, a ability to house all those cameras not every uh, uh, they, there could be an electricity failure right exactly at that moment then what would you do right. so these are the smaller things which keep happening but technology has helped and most and almost all umpires uh, who officiate at that level clear are very clear in their uh, that it has taken away a lot of stress from our uh you may call it that the challenge has gone but no it has taken away stress from decision making for them uh because now they are not merely judged and scored by captains by simply saying that he got she or he got this decision wrong uh that's not how they'll be judged on because the 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 technology helps them in terms of how the decision is made and what has gone behind it yeah i think the role of technology in cricket i don't think there are many people who necessarily oppose it I think the issue is with interpretation or understanding uh technology in the game like you said sometimes or most of the time commentators don't understand it either and like you know you have someone coaching the umpires I wish someone coached or explained it to commentators because they're the voice of the game at that moment when we are watching it and it helps us as a cricket public to understand what exactly is this technology supposed to reveal this is one of those problems where uh what you see on tv is not an accurate representation of what's happening and commentators sort of misinterpret that and tell you that you know if the ball is hitting the stumps it should be out but it's not like that because that's a projection and that has some sort of uncertainty uh, with it so what is your take on umpire's call and what is the logic behind it can you just explain it to the listeners from your perspective the umpire's call as a concept came up in around somewhere around 2016 or something uh that is when the whole idea of uh, one is it, and it has two primarily primary things which it addresses one is uh the subjectivity of a decision of a person on the field making the decision to stay to some extent is what one of the things was that should there be an umpire's call because at the end of it she or he is making the decision on the field so to give that kind of weightage to that person was the other thing the other was the technology which is not 100% correct it cannot take into effect every time the wind on the ground it cannot take into account uh, is there anything else which has affect the movement of the ball or the impact which would have happened at that time uh, and how much of an error is there and the camera errors which could occur so all these things are there i don't know if anybody remembers there was some one of the uh, decisions i presume it was a county match where suddenly uh in addition to the three stumps on the ground you could see three more stumps next to the to those three stumps yeah. and that happened because of a camera error so these are the things which need to be addressed and hence the so forget the last one but the other two elements are there for the umpire's call now the umpire's call is first to keep that subjectivity of the umpires ready and not become a robotic entire experience of the whole thing uh i, I still believe in the umpire's call but i believe that it needs to be made much more sensible for people to understand people do not know completely about it and hence the interpretations vary so so very differently the umpires are very clear so if you would have seen none of the umpires uh, i mean yes they wanted to improve but they will never say that okay we did not agree with this part of this because they know that they have been told and that's not what everybody has been everybody knows about it so i presume the cricketing bodies need to take that up in terms of educating people about what the umpires call really is and right. and it and it, and it will stay 
the uh, a common uh, argument which people give is about tennis so uh, in tennis uh, even a fraction of the ball pitching on the line is counted as in so irrespective of whether it is half the ball or 1% of the ball uh, if the ball is on the line it is called as in and it is not called as out uh, so that's something but the thing is there it is the only thing so a lot of technology has already gone into it to make it the uh, make the decision correct there is no other element in that okay so uh, they, they, they do not have to look at sneakometers or anything of the other sort or any other allied technologies along with it that's the only thing which they need to look at uh, so possibly it's much more simpler there but here it's 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 a much more complicated process and umpire call will stay for some time until you can definitely say that okay the the technology is error free nothing else is going to govern it i have enough number of cameras to cover absolutely all angles and there is nothing on the field which is not uh, uh, taken into the mo models which are working to give me the right answer so that will stay for some time it is it is not going to go away and i completely i i completely agree with it uh, yes uh, people if they are not told about the interpretations then yes it is going to completely wrong so for example you will see commentators shouting it is hitting the bail it should be given out <laughs> yep in fact hokai when they first gave this technology to the icc they had proposed the showing of an uncertainty cone around the wicket where the ball was pitching which is more accurate in what happens but the icc vetoed it because it's not uh, simple enough for the viewers apparently Yeah. So that's what happened. Correct. Uh, they started this, and it starts from that. So the stumps is just one part. You mentioned a very critical point: the where the ball pitches, where the ball hits, all these factors. Each one of them has an inbuilt error in it. So if right. those er and those errors keep on adding, so it's not that only hitting the stumps is the fine is the only place where an error occurs. There are occurs to the flight of the ball. It occurs where the ball pitches. It occurs as it again moves up. everywhere there are errors which start getting built up and those errors need to have some kind of allowance given and that allowance is perfectly reasonable and not, and not everybody is a student of physics so not everybody is really going to matter about it and the fundamental difference from tennis is that in tennis you have one moving surface you have a moving ball in cricket you have two moving surfaces so when you have just the point of impact there's a lot of error in that because you have limited frame rates so Absolutely. people don't get that Right. You mentioned a very critical point, and that is what the producer uh, say, uh, said uh, to the, on our uh, panel too. He said, uh, uh, "Until uh, you, th those two surfaces and those point of impacts and all those things are taken into considerations, you will really never know what has really happened at that moment on that field." So, uh, yeah, it's it's a matter of judgment. The judgment gets taken at that time, um, and the technology makes that judgment for you. And if it has improved your decisions by a, a matter of large percentages, why not? the simple case of taking away the no ball from the uh, uh, the the umpires on field uh, people may feel that okay now what do umpires need to do but no it's 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 given them the chance to get their decisions in front much more right than uh, the other decisions umpires are likelier to give out like before decisions now because of drs does that sort of percolate into the judgments you make at a lower level are you you likelier to give someone out on the front foot now because that's happened in like test match cricket and odi is released by the numbers so does that sort of percolate down the levels and you talk about it yes it percolates i do not know if it dr is only is to uh, is because of that but it has happened i agree completely and i see the difference in an umpire who is say 50 years and above and a younger umpire than that uh, the younger umpires are more inclined to give those decisions which were not out earlier definitely much more out now 
that is absolutely sure because now they have the confidence that even if the batsman has come well ahead and has come and possibly you do not know the distance the ball will travel and where it will go they are more likely to give it out so most of the sweeps for example uh, a lot of people would not try and get so uh, daring to give a sweep shot out especially if the uh, foot has come right ahead but now the umpires do uh, similarly not offering a shot uh, it's very difficult at times to judge the angle at which the ball would come in definitely and if the batsman is not offering a shot and hitting it because the batsman is usually way way ahead uh, in terms of padding up to the ball but yes umpires are now much more much more inclined to give uh, decisions out and you could be right that maybe that confidence which they have seen that drs is ruling it out so yes there must be an element where we were not getting it correct and hence possibly it is not uh, though the players reactions seem to see uh, will see the will say something else because uh, you will never see a, a player uh, saying uh, ah, okay and then walking off their reaction will always be do you think it was hitting and here the, the players do ask questions Yeah. Do you think it was really hitting stumps? Yeah, <laughs> was definitely hitting stumps. All right. So, final fun question. Right? This is often a fan question. What is the one law that you would change in cricket? For me, it's that the ball should be dead when it hits the bat. Uh, from the uh, you know, like when a fielder is throwing the ball. So then, um, the ball should be dead when it hits the bat or the wickets. So, okay. what is that one law that you would change? Uh, given the chance that you think is illogical or you don't like what i don't like oh boy so all this ingrained system of uh, like reading upon laws has become so much that okay the game has to be played according to the laws at times you start and wondering uh, if there's anything wrong with it uh, but i think uh, more than uh, i think the the penalizing of uh, uh, the uh, the leg side it, it's it's not a law it's a playing condition again yeah that's why i should make a difference here uh, the i think the interpretation of the wides uh for example especially in uh, cricket should be possibly extended to one days also uh where anything going down the leg side is being counted as a wide i think it's a bit uh, it's extremely illogical for those uh, spinners uh, an off spinner pitching outside the off stump spinning like a muralidhar and from there towards your leg yeah. stump and then gets called for a wide i think it is absolutely atrocious that's one thing which i definitely would like uh, a change in the playing conditions of the icc Uh, but i think the icc forget icc i presume the whole um, um, the media house wants to see batters batsmen batters batters is the right term now sorry batters get the right uh, <laughs> uh, uh, right thing uh, get the most of the uh, limelight uh, but i think that's something which i would possibly like to address uh, the the wides which are given down but otherwise i think the the, the mcc has a very good committee which keeps on uh, looking at those uh, laws they are now quite responsive in terms of uh, getting things right in place and they do not wait a number of years to try out what if it's not working or not they have been quite adaptive i've seen about two or three revisions from 2018 already which have happened uh, and technology has brought that about i mean and and strange incidents for example have brought that about so those things are uh, those things are being addressed quite a bit uh, apart from that i think again uh every single game uh, will evolve and there will be something or the other which will change over a period of time uh you may never know that there could be an entire new law book written at the end of it so yeah possibly yeah. <laughs> well amit let's you know wrap this up by coming back to you so what is what is up ahead for you in terms of you know uh the next step in your i'm sure you have a road map planned as far as your professional goals and what you want to achieve where you want to get to um so what are your prospects or what are your goals that it's in the immediate vicinity that you're looking to achieve 
the way uh, the english cr cricket is structured uh, the 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 top counties is the is sits at the top then there are the minor counties and then there are the uh, county premier leagues uh, these the, this is the structure and then there are various other leagues below it uh, i have managed to reach to the level of the county premier leagues right now so i have the minor counties and the counties which are there uh, but each one of them also has reserve panels so even if though you may advance you may not necessarily get a game to do at the end of it unless there is a problem with one of the umpires on the main panel uh, my first target is the minor counties if the minor counties work fine then possibly then the counties the movement towards the international level is um, how should i put it because they need to have representation from countries across it is at times quite difficult that unless somebody retires from the top that somebody could move or unless somebody really commits a whole lot of mistakes and then gets moved or something but uh, that that movement is possibly a bit more longer but the minor counties and the counties is something which i would definitely target for myself and i would love to do it it's it's, a, it's somewhere where a very very good level of cricket you can witness you get to see a lot of visiting players from different countries come in there and the the level of cricket goes up so many notches there is different uh, uh, so currently also uh, we have though he currently does not play uh, monty panesar is playing for twickenham as a club right now uh, and, that, and and it is a premier league club so even though i have not done twickenham this season it's a club which i have umpired uh, uh, in a match for uh, uh, so you get to see all these players at these levels and as you start moving up you still start seeing more players in minor counties and counties imagine uh, umpiring a match with cheteshwar pujara at the other end what 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 would what else would you want to see in a test match for example uh, uh so yeah so th that those are the first the first aims right now the beyond that uh, wherever it takes uh, i would love to uh, one day possibly walk down lords and uh, officiate a match uh, uh, that could be a dream come true more than lords i think uh, uh, for me as a uh, as, as a mumbai guy i think i would enjoy vankhede Uh, one day with that whole noise behind it lords does not make noise okay uh, one kid or but you have not been exposed to that level of noise right yeah, so, yeah. so that's 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 completely so the, the most i have had was last year where there was a cup final where we had about 3 200 i think 200 people uh, was the only place and that too because of the covid restriction they had to be all groups of 6 socially distanced all across the places and this was not like like jam packed or anything so so that's the that's that's going to be an entirely different ball game so multi day game and uh, with crowds into your ears uh, i think that's what uh, who were the last who i think it was simon toffel uh, who said to one of his colleagues at one of the matches and uh, in in a final uh, good luck to you uh, um, if you happen to hear a nick net let me know i don't think i'm going to hear anything at all So yeah, hopefully, let's see. All right. Well, Ahmed, I sincerely hope that you are able to fulfill that dream of uh, you know umpiring in an international game, and uh, I hope you remember us at that time uh, when you become famous. <laughs> and still, I think you guys would be famous before me. Yeah, we'll we'll But see. That's <laughs> such a stalwart of uh, guys already on your uh, on your podcast. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm sure a lot of things, you know, like in in cricket, uh, especially with the way things have been moving in terms of technology, I'm just curious how it will continue to evolve and assist umpires, assist the administrators uh, in improving. So I, I'm really keen to see how that's going to change 
the role of the, uh, you know, the traditional role of the on-field empires, and especially when, as you move up the ranks, you know, how that's uh, going to affect your role. So uh, I hope that you come back and share your thoughts on that when it happens. I would love that, Lato. But thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure speaking to you guys. It's been, I think, it's the first time that I've spoken about uh, umpiring so much to somebody other than my <laughs> wife. Yeah, She'll probably be grateful <laughs> for that. <laughs> thank you, Amit. Yeah, thank you for your there. time. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. Well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. A special thanks to Amit for his time and sharing his fascinating story. Please check out our show notes for links to his Twitter handle and more information on how to get into umpiring in England, if that is something that interests you now. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this conversation, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes, follow us on your social media feeds, and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you for listening, and from all of us here at The Last Wicked, stay safe and stay healthy.